This week's podcast is also brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast today for details. Hey there, MuggleCast listeners. I am back to inform you of some excellent news. GoDaddy.com is having better deals than ever. For only $3.59 a month for 12 months, you can get GoDaddy.com's economy package. With 250 gigs of bandwidth, 5 gigs of storage, and up to 500 email accounts, you can get your own website up and running with success. And as usual, enter code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E, when you check out. Save an additional 10% on any order. Some restrictions apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. Alright, welcome to our Beetle of the Bar discussion. We just all finished reading the book. Uh, a little little um, late compared to how we how quickly we did our book seven discussion. Do you remember that, Jamie? Uh, I don't remember that. When well, we were in London, London once we finished, yeah, yeah we all got But we got more listeners when we weren't there. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. That was a success. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, so now we're here. We're all finished reading Beat of the Bard. Uh, Jamie, Matt, and I are here in London, and Micah and Laura are here via Skype. Hi, guys and girls. Hey. Hey. Um, so let's go around. Well, first we're going to talk about the news of the week. And... Um, it, there's been so much Beetle the new Beetle the Bard news going around. Uh, Micah, you want to take us through that? Sure. Uh, the first piece of news that really kicked off the week was there was an unveiling of an original copy of Beetle the Bard at the New York Public Library, and uh, there I think there was another one at the National Library of Scotland, but uh, we'll leave that alone because I didn't go there. Uh, <laughs> I went to the one in, uh, in New York City, and it, it was a cool event. Um, they had um, Arthur Levine there from Scholastic, as well as the president of the New York City Public Library. And they did a, a short press event and then unveiled the uh, copy of Beetle the Bar that belonged to Arthur Levine. And uh, we got to go and take pictures and ask them questions and uh it was a neat little event um you but like what's that you fango like uh, of the uh, original fango. copy of right. beetle the bard also the same <laughs> no <laughs> uh mike i know you have this in the announcements but do you want to tell your background poster story real quick you might as well tell, okay. tell it here since you were there sure uh i was uh Wait, taking a picture yeah, but, yeah, okay, go ahead. And I'll explain the my part. Well, I'll, I can explain your part, too. It's, all right, all right. It's ahead. part of the story. <laughs> um, uh, well, I took a bunch of pictures of the glass case that this book was in. And, and behind the book, if you look at, at some of the pictures that are on, our, on MuggleNet, you can see that there's this poster in the background of the case. And uh, it details you know, what Beetle the Bard is, and it also lists all the other books in the Harry Potter series. But if you notice, um, and as Andrew pointed out when I showed him the picture, that the books are not in sequence. So I think it's Order of the Phoenix actually is the second book in order. And so what happened was... Well, hold on. The the order went Sorcerer's Stone, Order of the Phoenix, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblin of Fire, 
Half Blood Prince than uh, Deathly Hollows, which was weird. And I pointed that out to you. I was like, why is it out of order on that poster? So go ahead. Right. So I said, well, Scholastic should know about this if they don't already. <laughs> so I emailed one of the people over there um, and she responded to me and she said, yeah, you know, we knew about this, but we weren't able to fix it and get a reprinted version by the time we did the unveiling, but we'll fix it for when it actually goes on display at the New York Public Library. <laughs> wait, wait, so, so what are they, what are they doing with the, the one that's messed up? Well, she said, since you were the first one to point it out, give me your address and I'll send you the, no the poster. <laughs> yep. You can eBay it. I think she just wanted my address. Hey, hey now. Um, so that, that's pretty funny. You should have J.K. Rowling sign it and be like, she'll be like, how the hell did you get that? Yeah. But that's, that's pretty cool because it was sitting there right in front of the book and sitting there in the library right now. So that's cool. Yeah, it's a cool story. Where are you yeah. going to put it? Where am I going to put it? Yeah, the poster. Where are you going to keep it? You can put it in your bedroom on your ceiling. So, like, <laughs> stare up at it every yeah. night. Yeah, just before you go to sleep. <laughs> Along with all your pictures of Arthur Levine. <laughs> uh, and then what, what else is going on, Micah? I don't know. What else is going on? Uh, well, uh, Chrissy's report from uh, London's great. Chrissy's report from the J.K. Rowling Tea Party. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, she's a staff member of ours. She got a chance to go over to the Tea Party and kind of, speaking of fangirls, act like one and uh, stand outside, <laughs> take, pictures. <laughs> take pictures, and uh, uh, she seemed to uh, really enjoy herself and was able to. Uh, report for us that there were a couple of uh, actors and actresses that were at this party as well. Um, yeah, Vanna Lynch. Mm-hmm. Who else? Um, a couple other people. A couple of the Harry Potter actors. Yep. Matthew and, uh, Lewis. Yeah. And one Mugglenet visitor actually just sent in a report uh, from inside the Tea Party because they won the essay contest. And she said it was really fun and all the kids were really excited to see Joe and all that. So... Like you know, I, saw, I saw a picture of some of those kids. They did not look like they were elementary school. Well, I think the, they the were kids fine. look older here, Jamie, don't they? They age differently. They yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the water. Yeah. No, no, it's the tea. Oh. Oh, that's what it is. The tea. Yeah. It's the British tea. It's English morning breakfast. Yeah. Uh, and what else has been, been going on, Micah? Well, you guys were are still are in London. How'd the uh, show go earlier right. this week? Our show was a lot of fun. It was at uh, the Waterstones of Piccadilly Circus. Uh, we had what? Well over three hundred people there. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, like, like six, seven hundred, six thousand yeah. people. Yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was a lot of fun. And um, thank you to everyone who came out and said hello. Uh, we hung out with a lot of the people afterwards, and that was a lot of fun. Then everyone got the book. Maybe we should just apologize to Josh Bolton's parents about that. <laughs> There's a rumor going around that I insulted a kid by the name of Josh Bolton, who uh, we interact with on Facebook a lot, but um, I actually did not. I wasn't talking about him for the millionth time. I was talking about someone else who was there. Sorry, Josh. Very good. <laughs> okay. On behalf of Andrew. Whatever. Uh, and then one last thing, Micah. Yeah. Um, Back on Thursday, uh, RDR Books coincidentally uh, withdrew their appeal um, 
for the uh, publication of a companion book by Steve Vanderark. And uh, it's just interesting that they did it on December the 4th, uh, the same day that Beetle the Bard came out. Yeah. Was, That's a good coincidence. Surely yeah. It won't give them good press because everyone will be thinking about Beetle the Bard and not about Steve Vanderark's book. Yeah. But I guess they figure, you know, the fan sites will post it and while everyone yeah. is on the fan sites. Yeah. True. It's lame. But. But he's still making uh, a book. It's still going to be published. It's just going to have the title of, of an un- unauthorized version of uh, Harry Potter and Beyond or something like that. Why something like that. <laughs> Why should he just give it up? Yeah. Move on to Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <seriously. laughs> Get on the bandwagon. Uh, okay. Um, is that it, Micah? For news? That's all I got. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that RDR thing kind of annoys me. And I didn't post it the day it came out because obviously that's what they wanted. Yeah. I, mean, I waited till the next day, but still. Um, announcements. Um, MuggleCast won at the 2008 Podcast Awards in the entertainment category. Didn't we talk about that already? Did we you may have it? talked about it on your live show. Uh, uh, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. No, we haven't talked about okay. it. Okay, well, thank you everyone who voted for us in the 2008 Podcast Awards. And that ceremony is actually a couple hours from now. Uh, I don't think the show will be out before that, but Micah will be representing us. Thank you, Micah. No way. Really? Well, it's all live online. It's like not in person. So, unlike last year. Like right, year. right, right. Why aren't they doing it live? I don't know. Can't Money? Afford it this year. I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah. It's the economy. Yeah. The economy sucks. Yeah. yeah. We have yeah. to use streaming. But that'll be fun. And then also, don't forget that uh, MuggleCast will be at Azkatrash 2009. Uh, July 18th to 21st, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, we're going to be doing a podcast after the midnight release of Half-Blood Prince. So at like 3 a.m., we're going we're gonna gonna to be, cool. yeah, cool. be doing a podcast discussing the movie. Everyone's going to be really excited because it just came out. So, Are you going to try to go, Jane? Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, hopefully we'll have money then. So, yeah. Hopefully the economy will be better. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like MuggleCast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast today to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up. Again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast today for your free audiobook. And finally, uh, don't forget to vote for us on Podcast Alley. It's uh, MuggleCast December, so don't don't forget to vote. So, So we won for the 2008 Podcast Awards, so we can say it was MuggleCast... 2008. Sure. Since you're in England as well, mate. Yeah, mate. mate. And then next year will be 2009. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so let's move on to our main discussion this week. We're going to be talking all about Beetle the Bard. As I said earlier, we all finished reading it. And let's start off with our general thoughts about the book. Laura, how about you first? What um, You just finished reading this, I think. What, what did you think of it? Um, you know, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I, I kind of expected to just get it and think, oh, that's nice, um, fairy tales. But I really enjoyed um, Dumbledore's commentaries because he has a very, um, and Mike and I talked about this, warped sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, especially when he talked about Aberforth and his favorite story that his mom used to tell him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there were just like a lot of really cool, like little things. Like when you open the book and it says um, translated from the ancient runes by Hermione Granger. Yeah. That just was really nice cute. little tidbits like that. I really enjoyed it. 
wasn't wasn't he kind of arrogant though, Dumbledore? Like when <laughs> he was a bit about the greatest wizards thing, and then the footnote. And I was expecting something about hugely important wizards. He just said, "Like me, yeah, like, like me. Same as me." It was in there <laughs> twice. There was a yeah, like, at such as myself thing. Yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> uh well, Dumbledore kind of is a little cocky that way, don't you think? Yeah. Sometimes like, he's I trying mean, to be clever. I guess, like, she did it on purpose because, like, he's a flawed character and now all his flaws are coming out more so, you know. Well, I mean, everyone talks about how he's the greatest wizard of all time, and I think he's just, like, nodding to that fact. Yeah. Like, just, well, ever since everyone says so, I mean, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, Micah, did you get excited at that goat thing? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> he's turned to Arthur Levine now. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's gone. He loves Levine's. <laughs> Goats. Um, no, I just I agree with Laura. I mean, we talked about it uh, earlier. Just his perverted sense of humor. I wouldn't even call it warped. I would call it perverted. With some of the the little stories and that that he references throughout the course of the uh, of the book, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, I liked it. You know, I, I spent more time on the commentary than I did on the actual stories. Um, you know, I, I agree with what Laura said. I thought it was going to kind of be one of those books that you just get and you're like, oh, it's nice to have. Yeah. And just spend a couple minutes looking through it. But it, the commentary definitely made it for sure. Yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed it too. I just thought the stories were so nice. And I read this uh, on our way to uh, Oxford uh, the day after, or the, the, the day it came out. And it was just so relaxing, you know, sitting there traveling through the the suburbs of London and reading this book. And it, it was, yeah, it was really fun. Dumbledore's notes really made it, but I also really, really, really enjoyed the tales too. Yeah. More than I thought I would. Um, I was expecting it to just be a collection of like normal fairy tales mixed with a bit of magic. Um, I wrote a review. Uh, this journalist even me asked me to revise a review, but I think I got it to him a bit late. But anyway, I said that, uh, I was expecting it to be like Snow White hunched over a cauldron with a wand and stuff, but it wasn't. They were really original and really, really funny. And I thought they taught moral like tales and stuff, moral lessons, which fairy tales should do, really. Because um, that's the definition of a fairy tale, you know. So I think quite a bit of thought went into this book. It wasn't just written, you know, last minute to get it out uh, for charity and stuff. Like, I actually really enjoyed it. I, I thought it stands alone away from Harry Potter, although obviously all the references to the books. And like the you know translated by Hermione Granger and Dumbledore's storyline adds to it for the hardcore fans. I thought it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I really love the book actually a lot. Uh, I think the, the the only opinion I probably have, which is kind of a selfish opinion, is that I kind of wanted more stories from it yeah. because they were just so good. I just wanted more. I just wanted more. There was only five. I, 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 like some point, I looked at how far I was in the book, and I kind of got upset because I read more than half in like fifteen and a half an hour. But um. Read it twice, man. Then you get yeah, ten tales. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, or read it backwards and you get it in what finish? That's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, so like I I think Yiddish. I really love the the drawings J.K. Rowling drew in, in the pictures too. It, it it was just really nice to see uh, like some of the pictures and things that went in on it. Unlike with um, Harry Potter, where the drawings were like before or like at the beginning of each chapter for the U.S. version, but um, it's just like during. The readings, you, you got to see a little bit of what what J.K. Rowling thought because it's her drawings. So it's like what what she envisioned the story was and things. So I thought that was really nice. 
she can draw pretty well. Like, yeah, I was impressed. It's not bad. So, all right, um, let's move on to uh, the main discussion. Micah, would you like to guide us through this, please? Since you sure. it ever so wisely. Yeah. Uh, well, the the book opens up, and you kind of get a little bit of a background on who Beetle the Bard was, even though it's it's pretty brief. Uh, that he lived in the 15th century, and much of his life remains shrouded in mystery. Um, yeah. So I, I think that just kind of set the tone uh, for the book. You, you don't know a whole lot about this person, which is kind of J.K. Rowling's style. I feel like, yeah. um, you know. I won't. Uh, he was born in Yorkshire and had an exceptionally luxuriant beard. Um, that kind of reminded me of Dumbledore a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I kind so of, does so I, does the comment after that. Yeah, but. sorry, that was. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought it was interesting how um, J.K. Rowling compares the Fountain of Fair Fortune. You know, she says uh, the tales are as familiar to many of the students at Hogwarts as Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty are to Muggle non-magical children and i was thinking well do, do those do those tales get developed in the movies too just like cinderella and sleeping beauty turn well, into profitable well, cinderella Disney and films. sleeping beauty in the muggle world has been like retold like a million yeah. times i mean I, we know that yeah. the beetle um and the bard or the beetle the beetle the bard books have been redone at least once or twice mm-hmm. it's gonna get picked up by pixar at disney yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah no oh. What did you guys think of, and I know we talked about this a little bit already, but Dumbledore's commentary as a whole, and not only that, but how Rowling felt the need to comment on Dumbledore uh, and what he wrote throughout the course of the book. I loved his commentary. I mean, well, I mean, some of you guys were saying that it really made the book, and it was really fun to read. Um, and I think it was a great way to get... Um, it's sort of a goodbye to Dumbledore in a way. And I want to talk about this later on when we're talking about his final notes, because I thought there was a lot of meaningful things in those final notes. But, um, yeah, they just added so much, and you get a lot of respect for, for Dumbledore, and it made the book really fun and just enjoyable. All I really like the footnotes, too, when he did the notes, like the little things that you went down to see, like the definitions of what this, this or that meant. Yeah. And I they were no, funny. I had no idea that... Um, uh, Dumbledore's notes be so you know profound in this book. Like there's a lot of it, and like they can stand alone as like literary criticism. Yeah, like, he's a good writer. Like, well, she's a good writer. I should yeah, say, but, like you know, it actually reads like he knows about books and stuff. But yeah. then no, I think she just feels the need to explain because that's Dumbledore's character. Like he doesn't. He assumes people know that that they're at sort of standard and like, experience level, and he doesn't really think that some people can be complete beginners and stuff. So he'll assume a level of knowledge. She like explains stuff, I guess, but also like to try something with it. I guess if you're a model, then mm-hmm. you have to explain some things. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking, wasn't there one point in the introduction where um, Joe stated that Dumbledore always sort of has a habit of writing a little less than what he knows? Um, and I was just wondering if you guys picked up on anything, like that you felt like he wasn't giving you all the facts. Um. Oh well, yeah. Didn't he? Didn't Joe say that specifically about the tales of uh, the 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 um, the three, the three brothers? brothers? Yeah, yeah. And I'm remembering there was something in there where I read it, and I was like, "Oh, this is what she was talking about." But now I can't remember where it was. Really? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Dumbledore. Um, I'm gonna page through it right, right now. I mean, he's really 
he talks about the three important items: um, the visibility cloth, cloak, the uh, elder wand, and um, the stone. When he talks about the um, the elder wand, it seems like it, yeah, you're right, Laura. That he does kind of hold back on some of the information, like he like he think he's going to go somewhere with it, and then he just yeah. doesn't really deliver on it. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about this book being a success or not, I, I just thought of something. Since this is so important to book seven, like if she'd messed up this book, like the whole of book seven could have like not made as much sense or not been as like powerful or not. Because mm-hmm. if this book read badly, then you'd think, well, basing an entire book on that, the Deathly Hallows and stuff, you know, double book. It's lame, yeah. It's a bit lame. Yeah, so she actually had quite a, she'd undermine her entire Harry Potter series by turning this book into something that people don't really like. So yeah, that's, have to appreciate this. That's true. Yeah, that's really true. Um, so let's go through the story now. We'll go book by book, um, or tale by tale, or story by story, whatever. And uh, the first story was The Wizard and the Hopping Pot. And um, this one really brought out Joe's cleverness, I thought, because uh, there's a pot that hops, for crying out loud. And um, the, what's the, the what's a brief summary of the story? I mean, basically, this hopping pot is going around making ruckus until the wizard actually starts uh, helping the townspeople, right? Yeah, yeah it's, like his father used. To. It's the son of this uh, wizard who helps um, the Muggle village um, with all their problems until he died. Until yeah, until he died, and then the son who was given the pot or the cauldron uh, was. Um, I guess didn't appreciate his father as much and didn't like the cause that he did. And he's very, he was just a very bitter person and just refused to do anything. Mm-hmm. So every time, um, one of the, um, the Muggle villagers came up and, um, asked for him to solve the problem for him, uh, he, he denied it. And every time he denied it, um, the, uh, it would just come back to him in the pot. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like the curses of the, in the bike, you know, and like, yeah. And it would follow him too everywhere he went. Yeah. And there's yeah. that had to be a, a disgusting pot to to follow you around with all that disgusting stuff coming yeah. out of it. Yeah. It looks it looks kinda gross. And he was sleeping as well, like, right. like bad, <laughs> bad milk and cheese and slugs coming yeah. out of it. Yeah. yeah. And sour milk. Well, yeah. Same thing. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it was, it was it was a pretty good story. I think it was a good one to start it off. Um, but let's talk about Dumbledore's notes, because um, they were pretty interesting, right, Micah? Yeah. Uh, with uh, the, the wizard going around and, and eventually helping out all the muggles in the village, um, Dumbledore made a note that this particular beetle tale you know, was somewhat out of step with its time because of the chance of, of persecution. Um, you know, if you revealed yourself to be a wizard or a witch, you'd often um, end up uh, being killed. Yeah, yeah. Or And uh, I, I thought that was, you know, kind of interesting to hear him comment on this story just because we learned in Deathly Hollows uh, kind of his mentality early on in his life was to sort of have this dominant, um, uh, you know, he, him, and Grindelwald were sort of—I don't know what the right word is—but th- they had this practice where they were thinking about dominating the Mughal world, and wizards were the best, and that sort of thing. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, are fairy tales supposed to... Are they supposed to be in step with their time, so to speak? I mean, um, you know, the whole not being persecuted for being a wizard. Um, you know, I can't really think of a, an example where it a, a fairy a fairy tale was supposed to abide by all the laws that were going on in that current time. Well, was Grimm's were the were the Grimm brothers um, during their time when they wrote their fairy tales? I don't know. Never read any of them. Have you, Jamie? Oh, I, I haven't read the original. You know what I mean, I, I, I think it was even. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think it was of their time either when they wrote it. So it was close to what, like the the, the Middle Ages one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the original. But then, like, they got translated so many times. I bet they bear no resemblance to what we read today and stuff. You know? It's, yeah. Well, everything's. I mean, everything is is a little more lighter than the original version. So it was probably right. watered down and Disney, Disneyfied. Yeah, <laughs> Disneyfied. <laughs> <laughs> we also get the uh, nearly headless Nick connection. Yeah, we learn a little yeah, bit of backstory. Nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's quite political this stuff, really, as well. Like, yeah, you know, it's just she just wants to give a history of the world, like in a wizarding sense. You know what I mean? Like, she wants to teach people lessons and show people how, like. You should accept everyone and stuff. It's just, it's really moral, this book. It's really, really moral. Mm-hmm. I think she's going to run for, like, Prime Minister or something, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she has a chance. No, I don't think she Do you? No, it's just too nobody nice. nobody would vote for her. Own autobiography. That's sort of like <laughs> Oprah running for president. Yeah. I mean, like, she has the popularity vote, but some people would be skeptical, sort of. Um, what else, Micah? Well, we also learned that there's a revised version of this story uh, that's extremely anti-Muggle um, and promoted by the likes of a Malfoy. And uh, there's no surprise there. I don't think that an anti-Muggle version of this story would be promoted by somebody in that family. Yeah. Is this um, the one? Is this? Oh, this is not the one with the. That's the next story. Never mind. The Lucius Malfoy connection that Dumbledore makes, I thought was really interesting, too. That yeah, that, that oh, was yeah. pretty funny. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll talk about that later. But. And uh, and I think Jamie mentioned, or was it you, Andrew, earlier, about how Dumbledore starts referring him to himself as a brilliant wizard? Yeah, such as myself. He says a little that, arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> he says that here, and then he says it in another story. It really is so arrogant. Yeah, it is. It, Although I guess I thought it was I funny. It's um, it's out that um, at least in the context of the book, these were his private notes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He'd been taking, so he probably didn't know. Do, do, doesn't it seem even uh, <laughs> cockier though when he's writing about himself to himself? himself yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he has to remind himself that he's nice, <laughs> such as myself, you, attractive <laughs> young man. But I think with him, like, I don't think it's arrogance. He just like. He just tries to give emotion out of stuff because power and emotion is like messed him up in the past. He just, yeah. yeah. I think he just keeps the fact and like he thinks he's a pretty good wizard and everyone else does. So he's just like accepting yeah. it rather than trying to be, you know, modest, yeah. modest about it. Yeah. There's a couple times during the series too, though, that he'll refer to himself as being, you know, overly brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It was in Sorcerer's Stone when he said that. I was like, that was one of my more brilliant ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And that's saying something. And like, and in, um, was it Desley Hallows when they're um, he picks 
carry up. No, sorry, Half Blood Prince, and they're walking along, and um, he and he says to him, uh, "Harry, I don't think you'll be attacked tonight." Tonight, and uh, Harry's like, "Why?" And he's like, "Deal with me." Oh, oh right. Thanks, <laughs> you know. It was sort of like a bittersweet moment. Yeah, we we get inter- introduced uh, to a character that comes up a couple times uh, throughout this book, Beatrix Bloxham, um, and she's kind of the anti version of fairy tales. It seems like, and she tries to recreate them so that they're these pure uh, stories that don't have any sort of uh, real world application to them. And yeah. What it reminded me of, and I actually had this in the notes that I took, but somebody sent in an email, was I thought Rowling was going directly at Laura Mallory when she created this character (laughs) because of the way that she's described. um, Yeah. Let's read the email. It's from Steven. It says, I finished reading Beetle the Bard yesterday. I thought it was great. J.K. Rowling did an excellent job as always. I was wondering if any of you thought, like I did when reading Dumbledore's notes on The Wizard and the Hopping Pot, that J.K.R. was poking fun at Laura Mallory. I was speaking specifically about page 17 in the UK version, which reads, um, well, you know, we, we know what it says. When I read this, I almost thought it was like an inside joke. While it would still be funny to the casual reader, those of us who found all things Potter would have something extra to laugh at. The icing on the cake is that our favorite idiot of the year would never know that JKR is making fun of her because she'll probably never read the book. Mm. Laura, uh, given that uh, you live in the same state as uh, Laura Mallory, what do you think? <laughs> think there's a connection? Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's a specific connection um, because also when I read this, I thought of Umbridge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and how she was constantly trying to sort of change what everybody was thinking and protect so-called protect the minds of young wizards. Um, I think it's just meant more to sort of poke fun at people who um, are pro censorship and yeah, who, who want to alter certain like things. So. Yes. Like Laura Mallory, but I, I don't think it's specific. Do you I mean, think she could have been thinking of her? Do you think Laura Mallory would approve or disapprove of this book? Oh, I think she would uh, approve of the rewritten version of <laughs> the Hobbit Pot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe if I mean she it's saw very. That- uh, what? It's I mean, it's very. You know, like I mean, if you listen to this, and we went and huggled the Hobbity Pot, like yeah, ew, <laughs> I think she'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's insulting to children as well. Like it treats them. Yeah, you know, it's really patronizing that revised story. Yeah. And then uh, next is the Fountain of Fair Fortune, where um, there's the three witches and the knight, I think it was. It was a knight, right? Yeah, it was the three mm-hmm. witches and the knight. And yeah. they have a journey to uh, this fountain. Uh, whoever bathes in it will have fortune for so the rest of, the, what, rest yeah, of their life. Good fortune for their entire life. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be one of the general favorites of the book, correct, guys? Yeah, it was my yeah, favorite. J- Jamie, do you know whose favorite it was, actually? Who? Arthur Levine. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. I mean, it's your favorite, too, Mike. <laughs> no, actually, it's not my favorite, but... Uh, there's, um... It, it, he read this one online on Scholastic's website, didn't he? There's a video of him reading this? Yeah. I'm pretty sure there was. Yeah. And, uh, so, this was a good one. Yeah, I really yeah. liked it. it. It seemed more like a, um... Uh, like, like more of a, a, a broader, um, I would say almost like a bigger budget if it was a film kind of story. Yeah. It was like, more detailed. Yeah, it was more of a journey. And extremely moral as well. Like it was 
yeah, she's obviously trying to show, you know, that, you know, the journey is more important as Dumbledore said. Oh, sorry, as Joe says in the beginning, that the journey is more important than the... Mm-hmm. There's just so much involved in the story, too. Yeah. Well, in the story, um, uh, this garden opens on summer solstice when the day is the longest. And uh, on this day, the garden picks um, one person with uh, with uh, a, a lot of problems in their life, and they're allowed to bathe in in the fountain, and all their uh, troubles would go away. And uh, this story in particular, uh, three witches who all uh, caught pity on each other, uh, like band together and became like a little team to. See if one, if if one of them were chosen, they would all three go in and help each other. And so on that day, one of the witches was picked, and they all grabbed onto each other. And um, the last witch that was grabbed on was actually entangled in in a knight's armor, and he was dragged into it too. But um, my question, when I that that I found kind of um, interesting, was that the um, the creepers, quote unquote, which are like these little vines that grow up on like. Um, buildings and things. Um, it caught uh, the f- the first witch, and w- was it, did that mean that the garden only wanted that one witch, or was the garden aware of the truce between all the witches? Because I, I because know. we know at the end of the story that um, the fountain really had no fortune at all. But to be fair, like fair fortune is basically chance. So like it could just have come out, and they just managed to like catch on to right. It. But, I, but what, what I mean was the, the fountain had no special ability actually at all. Yeah, yeah, it was just like a water. Mm-hmm. There was no enchantment. Water yeah, it was just some isolated water cat drinking fountain. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was kind of disappointing though. Why? Why didn't it actually have fair fortune? Because I mean, these are fairy tales. It could easily have something like that. So why not? Well, I, the moral of the story. Well, yeah, I think it's the yeah the moral uh, of the story yeah. is that you have the power to solve your own problems. Yeah, and, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And um, this is this is one that I real this question um, I thought was kind of interesting when I was reading it. But didn't you guys think that um, this story um, had a good connection to uh, Goblet of Fire in the Maze? Like, because with all the things that you had to pass yeah. through mm-hmm. in order to get to um, you know the um, the trophy the, the the thing that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of thought this probably was like the story that they thought would probably be a good um, object to do in the Triwizard Tournament. And that's quite an interesting point, yeah. Especially since the you know Tale of the Three Brothers featured so heavily in Book 7. I wouldn't be surprised if like... Because Joe just likes to add stuff in that some people will see and some people won't. You know, there are so many layers. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was that. Yeah. Um, well, and also there's four champions, just like in the Goblet of Fire. And the last one wasn't even supposed to be part of the um oh, man. the journey oh, man. oh yeah oh man yeah. oh yeah you're brilliant oh god trees take a moment silence <laughs> <laughs> well not to mention it's sort of um the same yeah. but like opposite um like in this story it's three witches and a wizard but then in goblet of fire it's three wizards and a witch that are in the maze oh yeah oh yeah yeah but, and, Lord, man, but, he's, but of... is, is the knight's not even he's a muggle the knight's a muggle in the story. Oh, he is a knight. That's yeah. interesting. Matt sort of brought up a good mm-hmm. point. In, in in this story, I don't think if anyone heard it, the knight is the odd one out, and he he wins. And in Goblet of Fire, Harry was the odd one out, and 
and he wins. Yeah. yeah, it's also about cooperation as well, like magical and non-magical cooperation. You know, and that people can work together. And he and he was the humblest of the four too. He's yeah. the one who gave up and let the the witches win. Yeah. Yep. All right, moving along. Um. Yeah, we don't have to. We we don't really have to say the third one because we kind of already talked about it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Micah. Well, I, I was looking at the uh, the sketch of the fountain, uh, which is on page 34 in the U.S. edition of it. And what I thought was interesting is it has the Deathly Hollow symbol on the lowest bowl. If you look at it, I don't know what page oh, it is nice. in the U.K. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it also looks like the main base that's holding it together is a snake with some sort of wings on it. Yeah, it almost looks... I think it may be a dragon. It looks like a dragon. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that uh, the Deathly Hollow symbol, too. Um... What does that mean? Could that mean anything though? I didn't. I didn't realize what what was going on with that. I what are don't the know. Symbols? It's an eye. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is a rune, but I don't know what it means. I think I think it's a Freemason conspiracy. Well, then there's that number four <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, on the third level. Jeez, I know. I was, like, I was just like, is this the Da Vinci Code? <laughs> Wow. Um, I mean, it just must be a bunch of um, symbols that she just uses. What? She's just like I, a bigger mix. She's yeah. Just oh no. Yeah. This is just this is just the key to, to some bigger thing that we nobody knows about. Maybe if we decode this, it's like Harry Potter book eight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we decode it, she'll write book eight. Right. It's like two teams up. Damn. So much just start a rumor. Yeah. yeah, it would be kind of cool if there was like a hidden puzzle in there. It's like a little yeah. game in the book. Mm-hmm. Figure out. It doesn't even have to relate to the story. Um. All right. Maybe What's not. next? Um. Well, Dumbledore spends a lot of times in his in his notes on this story, uh, talking about uh, the pantomime, and I guess that's a British term because. Uh, Andrew, you said that this actually doesn't show up in the UK edition. The, yeah. the footnote doesn't show up in the UK edition about uh, what a pantomime is. Yeah, um, what does the footnote say? For those of I, us who have the UK books right now and can't even see it. And yeah, let me see. Oh, no, I'm trying to find it. Yeah, it I didn't have it. It starts off with like, UK uh, muggles may not be aware of yeah. Oh, yeah, it says... Um, yeah. Non-British muggles may be unfamiliar with the British tradition of plays presented at Christmas time, usually based on fairy tales and including music, comical characters, and audio generally of the vigorous type described here. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. It's probably like the one difference between the books. See those, yeah. But what's no, also- it's just another example that once again, scholastic things are stupid and can't understand certain things. Yeah, like, apparently Americans yeah. don't know what philosophers are. So Yeah, yeah that's true. Sorcerer's so cheapening as well. Just, just to go back to that point, because, you know, Sorcerer's Stone is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's oh, such a stupid title. To be honest, I, I didn't know what a pantomime is. To be yeah, honest, but I think you could figure it out, though. Yeah, if you really yeah, cared yeah, enough. It's called a dictionary, find, if yeah. you don't know. Like, <laughs> we do have those here. Yeah. Or an internet. Yeah. Well, I mean, a World Wide Web. (laughs) Plus, if you go through this book, there's plenty of other things you'll see that you don't know what they are. Even, I mean, like, you know, 
like there's no explanation of a char- charlatan, which is which was the which was the guy in Cackling Stomp, but you know there's no explanation of that. So well, <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I'll be honest, I never heard the word before. What is it? It's she's a like person. A jo- no, it's like a faker, isn't it? A jokery flaunts about. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Well, why did they just put that in the book, like a side note saying, for those of you who it's don't know what a charlatan is? CWB is the Dark Knight. Yeah. <laughs> When's the night always darkest, man? Um, uh, the night is all the darkest before the dawn. And the dawn is coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming out on DVD. Go buy it on Blu ray and DVD. And then we also heard a couple about a couple new characters uh, Professor, Professor Herbert Beery. Herbology and Professor Sylvanas Kettleburn of Care of Magical Creatures. That was kind of cool. I thought, yeah. I thought this was the only kind of like digression in this book. I thought it was kind of pointless, to be honest. Yeah, it was. I, I it, it felt like filler to me. Yeah, it did. This is the I only thought, I... like filler. I thought it was the first look it. into Hogwarts we got. Really, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That we didn't really know much about. Yeah, uh, but I mean, don't we you can... guys? Good. I was gonna say, don't you remember from? Prisoner of Azkaban, where um, when Hagrid was given the post of Care of Magical Creatures Professor, and Dumbledore was sort of giving his speech, and he said that Professor Kettleburn had left to enjoy his time with his remaining limbs. Oh, yeah. That's true, yeah. And that's so I thought this was kind of cool, because like, it gave us background about that. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's very true, yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, yeah. uh, like I mentioned earlier, this is a yeah. story where... Uh, where Dumbledore explains why Malfoy originally started, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah. the feud between the two. Yeah. Yep. I, well, per- I love how he said that Mal- uh, Mr. Malfoy kept writing back to him and he just ignored him. Yeah, that was funny. Was- yeah. <laughs> I-, I said what I'm saying and, you know. And hygiene as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> yeah. Hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. The relevance uh, this, to this commentary is remote. <laughs> it's just all humor. I mean, if you look at it, really, the whole pantomime thing, it's a pretty comical scene. And then everything with Lucius, too. You know, he talks about Lucius trying to get him removed. And then he said, well, it remar- marked the beginning of me trying to get him removed as Voldemort's favorite Death Eater. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was true. I used to think, like, I like to think he wrote this. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, after he decided to die, because I think the paragraph that starts this exchange marked the beginning of Mr. Malfoy's long campaign and ends with end of mind to have him removed from his position as Lord Voldemort's favourite death eater is not something that Dumbledore would write if, like, when, you know, he wasn't sure of stuff and things that were going on, because I don't think that's quite an accusation, you know, even though most people know. Well, he pro- well, he, he always knew that, that Malfoy was uh, a big supporter of Malfoy. Yeah, that is Voldemort. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That guy, that nasty man. Yeah. But again, we also do have to remember that these are his personal notes. They're such a weird concept, though, because they're written like completely to to be published. Obviously, right? So it sort of doesn't make sense in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, think that was just for... just enjoy it. I mean, it's it's a book. Just go with yeah. it. Don't analyze it. Stop. Uh, all right, then we can stop recording. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah we can say. After 170 episodes, Andrew says, don't analyze. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anything else in this in this story we should talk about? I'm pretty done. I think that was it, yeah. So good right. book, good read. Um, the Warlock's Harry Heart. 
This was really clever one, I thought. Yeah. Had a, this is... Hmm? No, I was going to say, this is where the tales really start to turn dark. Yeah. yeah. It, it was... Yeah. This was very brutal for uh, for something in a Harry Potter novel. Yeah. Very tragic. It's it's the most tragic of, I think, all the stories. It really is tragic, yeah. It is. And basically, a quick summary... Um, the warlock has a hairy heart. He takes him out of himself. Then he meets this chick who, uh, who's I I sh- think she's the one who's like put the heart back in, so you can feel true love, right? Or something like that. Yeah, that was, that was right. the best yeah. summary I've ever. Heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten. I mean, she met, I mean, met some chick and I like chick. she was like, "Dude, put your heart back in, man." <laughs> like, <laughs> well, the, I mean, if, if if you if you think about it, the way you, we've just been describing it, it, sounds like the summary of every single romantic comedy. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> a guy doesn't want to fall in love, so he takes his heart out, and it's up to a woman to bring the heart back into him. And then they kiss, and, and they kiss, and then he and then he yeah, cuts open her heart and, and his, and then they up. die. Or, or eats it. Yeah, or, yeah, he eats the yeah. heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, God, like an awesome a, end to this. Yeah. What? It, it was. Yeah. Uh, I I don't even know how to go on. Uh, I thought this one was the best, to be honest. Like it just said everything in, in like a few pages. You know how like the words she used as well, the way the fact that she deliberately said warlock, and the fact that how she described him. You know, like she, you know, like he was up, up to the top of his place. Like he could only go down. There was no other way. He couldn't get in anything more. Like it, it was going to end in tragedy right from the beginning. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, he was totally heartless. Um, in both yeah, the, yeah. in literal and um, figurative sense, during yeah, the entire true, yeah. story, I, I didn't really realize that he he literally t- he used dark magic to take out his heart. But um, yeah, and I sort of like the um, the connection Dumbledore made between that and the Horcruxes. Yeah. That was oh yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Well, do you think the connection has? Um, any connection to how the um, the heart pretty much disconnected itself from the body and became like its own? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's sort of I yeah, when, and it um, took over when the uh, two figures of Ron and um, sorry of Harry and Hermione came out of the uh, Horcrux and spoke to Ron. I thought like you know it took over and sort of fed on your worst nightmares and stuff. Well, what would happen though if you took a Horcrux and you and you um, took the spirit back into your to yourself? Can you do that? I don't know. Can you do that? Do, do, I don't was think that so. ever discussed? Saying so you can't put it's like a you, piece you, of you back you inside you? Sp- you can split it, but does that mean it's permanently split? You can't take it back from you? I kind of remember reading that somewhere, discussing that. Because wouldn't yeah. something like this happen then? You or is like, it just not possible? Well, I, I think, think it's... Yeah, he says it's impossible. It could only happen in fiction, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, not to mention the moral of this story was that if you take your heart out, I mean, this was the real moral, but you learned from the story that if you take your heart out and put it back, it, 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 it'll be too late. I mean, the heart is already... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... Uh, you can it has a mind to, of its own. It's of. a warning. Like, the other ones are kind of like, you know, lessons, but this is more of a warning. Yeah. But it's also from, like, dark magic, too, that yeah. he, that's controlling the heart. Right. It was a bit Pirates of the Caribbean. I know. I thought of that as well. I didn't want to be the one to say it, though. (laughs) (laughs) There's 
a lot of footnote action going on in this in this story too. Oh, or in Dumbledore's notes. Um, yeah. Well, the main thing he said though that was that it speaks to the dark depths in all of us, and that's kind of why it survived and was yeah. pretty much unchanged over the years. Do you, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think stories like that, uh, you know, that have these these gory, evil, disgusting, nasty scenes in them, generally survive? I mean, do we just we like them? We just don't like to admit that we like them. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is definitely one of those stories where they would definitely turn it into a cute, happy ending Disney film. Yeah. Because this reminds me of like the Little Mermaid, like the Little Mermaid, um, uh, you know, sacrificed herself for the person that she loved, and now it turned into like her father magically gave her legs, and she married the prince, and everything lived happily ever after. Hey, hell yeah! Well, he's got unlimited abilities if he yeah. can grow on people's legs. This is definitely one of those like um, middle-aged classic fairy tales that constantly get redone. Yeah, it's kind of like Toy Story where. Toys go out on there, and like yeah. Buzz goes out on his own and realizes he's not a toy. Kind of, but not. But, um... So the footnotes? Yeah, I was going to talk about the pictures, but are we still on the footnotes? No. Gruesome. I love this photo. I think it's my one of my favorite pictures in the entire book. Is It's just so graphic. The one where they're, photo. they're both the, laying the, their dead? Yeah, they're both laying their dead with their chest split open and oh, two really hearts nice waiting. Matt, isn't it? Yeah. Well, look, I thought, okay, I see the little hairy heart, but the big heart, I mean, it looks like a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> kind of looks like Snape or Sirius, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like a young Snape yeah, or Sirius. Yeah, it kind of does. An elf. <laughs> and the, 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 uh, Girl, yeah, she, she didn't look like anything. She, like, yeah. she doesn't look very well, does she? She looks like the girl from the ring. Yeah, yeah. she does. She doesn't look like she was described in the book. You know, you're expecting. Well, you like know, a, someone someone she, had just cut her heart out. I don't know how you look after I, someone does no, like you. Uh, no, her she's got no her face would not change. I mean, she's got a long neck too. Yeah, she does. Joe's jo still working on her uh, sketches of women. <laughs> she drew she drew the the guy really nicely though. I mean, you can see yeah. all the the wrinkles and disfigurements in his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got jeans on. The visuals in this story are like yeah. really disturbing. Yeah, yeah, they are. Like, like the whole part where it's like he he was like licking the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was gross. That was like <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have this interesting email about um, the Warlock Harry Warlock's Harry Hart. Um, it says, Hi, MuggleCast. This is from Rachel H. I love the story, but Dumbledore's commentary left me a bit confused. On page 57 of the U.S. edition, Dumbledore leaves a footnote regarding the search for a true love potion. He says, Hector Dagworth Granger, founder of the most extraordinary society of potioneers, explains, quote, powerful infatuations can be induced by this skillful skillful." skillful potioner, but never yet has anyone, has anyone managed to create the truly unbreakable, eternal, unconditional attachment that alone can be called love. End quote. Rachel says, okay, so maybe I didn't want to have I didn't have to write all that, but my point is Herm, Hermione's a muggle-born. Muggle is Joe hinting that she gets her magical talent from a wizard in her distant distant family? I doubt, I doubt the Granger is just a coincidence. No, this was solved in book six. Then she asked if like Oh yeah, he did. That's oh. true. She did. Yeah, and then good and memory. Then, Jeez. And then Harry's just like, no, she's like, no, sir. And then he's like, oh, did you really tell him I was the best witch in the year? Oh, Harry. Good memory, Jamie. Yeah. 
If for any reason the relation like was valid, earlier in Beale the Bard, when Dumbledore was talking about Swibs and Muggleborns in one of his little commentaries, he said something about how most of the time Muggleborn witches and wizards um, do come about because of a magical relative further back in their yeah. family tree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, but I'm sure it's a common last name. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's still an interesting connection, especially the quote that Dumbledore uses. Um, yeah, but that's really impressive, Jamie. I don't know how the hell you remember that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well done. I am. Um, Mike, you want to do that last night there? Yeah, uh, it's just more of the humor of uh, of Dumbledore, and he goes back to talking about Beatrix Bloxham and um, how, in her notes somewhere, she wrote that she had overheard uh, this story, uh, but that at the same time she had also overheard something about her uncle Nobby, the local hag, and a sack of bouncing bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just think that Dumbledore's way to, to lighten the mood on, on such a serious story. It, it seems like this is a story that you would try and overhear, you know, your parents telling to maybe your older siblings because you'd always want to know um, about it. It seems like a story that maybe your older siblings would try to, to tell you to scare you or, um, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, but is, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I, I was going to refer to um, Adelbert Waffling's Fundamental Laws of Magic, which <laughs> I thought was an awesome thing, because, like, it brings magic down to a non-magical level and says that it's not, like, it can't do anything, which is, like, kind of a moral for the entire Harry Potter series, that, you know, like in Book 7, when um, the Prime Minister is talking to the Minister of Magic, and he's like, but you can do magic, and the the uh, minister's like, yeah, but the other side can do it as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I, I thought that was a really awesome touch. There's that um, tamper with the deepest mysteries, the source of life, the essence of self, only if prepared for consequences of the most extreme and dangerous kind, which is obviously, you know, Horcrux and Voldemort and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I, there were a lot of, like, books um, that were referred to in this story from um, Dumbledore's notes. Yeah. Like, it, um, like uh, Albert Waffling's Fundamental Laws of Magic. Um, uh, what was the other book that, that you that you mentioned? Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, the Fantastic Beasts. I guess. Is Joe doing like a little plug for her own book? Well, yeah, that's right. what I thought. See, this one I like the most. Um, the self help book, The Harry Heart, a guide to wizards who won't commit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would buy that. <laughs> yeah. And the Harry Snout Human yeah. Heart. Was so well, fun. it's yeah, not <laughs> Harry Snout Human Heart. That was fun. Yeah, very good. Yeah. But. And the other funny piece that was in here was um, when he was talking about his aunt, Honoria, calling off her engagement because her suitor had a hairy heart. And, and I think that was, again, you know, an attempt to explain to us what exactly a hairy heart was. Yeah. Um, kind of similar to the to the pantomime thing. I don't know if it's if it's a more common expression in other places than others, but but then Dumbledore adds in that he doesn't believe that that was the reason the engagement was broke off. It was because she was, or sorry, he was fondling some hork lumps. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this made me think that this this book, though, really, while it's supposed to be about a bunch of fairy tales, it really appeals to more of an adult audience just with some of the things that are t- that are discussed it's, it's very difficult to see why anyone would want to fondle them because they're like <laughs> little mushroom like creatures like, like hamsters yeah 
but but don't you think though? I mean, there's a lot of insinuation going on yeah. with, with you know the her uncle and the local hag and a sack of bouncing bulbs and then fondling some hork lumps and yeah. There's there are other things throughout the course of this book though that are just kind of perverted in a way. It's true. No? Yeah, but Joe's letting out now. She is. Uh, <laughs> Harry Potter's over. I mean, she doesn't have to, you know. She can do whatever she wants. She can write all these gruesome scenes and call people. Sure, yeah. uh, what were those insults in the beginning? Scum suckers. Scum suckers. That was nice. Yeah. Dung liquor. That's my favorite. Uh, Dung liquor. Dung liquor. <laughs> That's kind of. <laughs> All right, so uh, second to last story, Babbity Rabbity and her cackling stump. On that theme of, you know, yeah, yeah. out of audience titles, yeah. cackling stump. Yeah. Um, the most real of Beatles tales, uh, Micah wanted to note. Uh, how well, about a summary of this one? Go ahead, Matt, you do it since I'm, I can't. This is my least summary. favorite one. Oh, okay. Hmm. This is my least favorite one as well, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> I personally didn't like it because I got my hopes up the most, I think, for this story. Well, this one also um, is the only story that mentions the whole witch, the witch hunters thing, too, about it. Like, um, yeah. because the king um, had um, witch hunters with um, hounds going after um, all the witches, because he, he, but he also wanted to do magic, too. So the king um, called out asking for any witch or wizard to... Um, be his advisor. It kind of sorry. Yeah, go on. I was going to say it kind of echoes today that people say that people are scared of what they want and they like repress stuff and then like mm-hmm. sort of um, punish people who do what they want. Like, to yeah, yeah, they're exactly. jealous, yeah. sort of, of, yeah. of the abilities that other people can do, and so in exactly. order in order for them to feel better about themselves, they make it into an evil. Into an evil when when they're scared of it, but wish they could do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's kind of like that. And um, go. Ahead. So basically, this guy um, saw this as uh, a potential of making money, and so he um, he can he calls himself a sorcerer to the king and um, tells him he'll teach him how to do magic, an instructor for magic. And um, the king, um, who isn't very smart, kind of was well, kind of an idiot. Let's face it, this king isn't very smart. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so so the king um, hires him as his sorcerer. And uh, during which uh, the the king is doing all these stupid things at the sorcerers, or what is the guy called? A, um, charlatan. A, char- a charlatan. And the charlatans teach him how to do all this stupid little not nonsense spells and things. And this woman, the washerwoman called Babbity Rabbity, which is kind of a weird name. It's, uh, it's, it's it, it doesn't really fit in with the story, but. Um, this old woman just watching and, and laughing at him, and I guess uh, the charlatan follows uh, Babbity Rabbity and finds out that she actually is a witch, and so he tries to blackmail her, which oh, foolishly, um, into uh, being with him during his uh, little show that he's going to put on with the king for uh, showing magic. And the king is starting to get like a little embarrassed about the whole thing. And he said, he tells the charlatan, you, I'm going to do a show for everybody. And if, if, if I get laughed at, I'm going to cut your head off basically. And you guys want to go on with this story? Cause I, well, I only read this once. Kind of long summary, but yeah. basically 
the moral of the story is that, well, what ends up happening is that the king really can't produce magic and um, Babbity Rabbity runs off after uh, the charlatan calls her out and then what happens? Well, it's like evil doesn't pay as well. Like, right. You can't do that to someone and expect it to be a fair game. You know? Yeah. It's also, you shouldn't really covet something that you can't get yeah. logically or like fairly because, uh, you know, something bad is going to happen to you. Yeah. Um, so. I thought the whole idea of Babbity Rabbity doing the magic behind the bushes was kind of clever. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting because I didn't, I didn't know how she was going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, mm-hmm. came as a pleasant surprise, I thought. Yeah, I, I thought it was I interesting, the though. Was funny. Yeah, well, it, the interesting part was being that when he, he could, she couldn't do anything when he tries to he tried to raise the the dead boarhound back from life or the yeah. the search hound, um, you know, and that obviously has stronger ties to um, a lot of what goes on in the Harry Potter series in terms of yeah. you know you learn that you can never bring anybody back from the dead, even magic can't do that. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, the ending was funny though, Laura. Yeah. I was gonna say it was a weird tale. I felt like it, yeah, it, it was. The morals weren't quite as clear as um, as um, <laughs> sort of in the other ones. I can't remember. I read a, a review online, and uh, it, it compared one of the stories to the Emperor's New Groove. Uh, I don't know which one because I haven't seen the Emperor's New Groove. But I, I think love it. Might have been this one. What's the comparison? I love that movie. Just that they were based on the same theme and like, like, uh, wow, storytale like thing. But I don't know if it was this one. I'll have to recheck it. Yeah, um, I don't know. Sort of, because there's is, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> if anyone has any thoughts on that, great movie though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, anything else you want to talk about here? I guess well, we didn't even go through the notes. Go ahead, Micah. Uh, in terms of it being the most real of the tales, I mean, it's just the most practical in terms of what we know of the magical world. Yes, and Dumbledore true. brings that up. He says, of all the of all the stories so far, this is one that could have actually taken place given everything that that goes on in the story. Yeah, uh, maybe yeah, this we, is just like a rejected plotline from J.K. Rowling. Yeah, she put in here. <laughs> could be. Yeah, um, and I'm I remember she didn't use it. Elisa <laughs> said she was particularly looking forward to this story because um, Joe had said that she came up with these titles before writing the story. So, you know, she had to make the, the story go with the title. Um, huh. So that must have been quite the challenge. Um, oh, yeah. She said something about that, too. Like, like she said, you try writing a story uh, to go with the title Babbity Rabbity and her cackling stone right. or something yeah. like that. It must be hard. Mm-hmm. My original yeah. thing w- with it was just that that there was Babbity Rabbity and also the Cackling Stump, not, you know, she would be the Cackling Stump. But she wasn't the Cackling Stump. But she wasn't the Cackling Stump. She was underneath yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But right. She was, but the Stump wasn't Cackling, was it? No, no, no. no. I was right. no. to be some type of appendage of her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I thought that Stump would come to life, literally, you know, because if a pot can walk with the foot, why <laughs> can't <it> cackle? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it definitely was one of um, the more anti-Muggle stories, too, mm-hmm. seeing that wizards yeah. are more um, smarter than Muggles are. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's also the first mention of an Animagus, which was interesting. It also um, talks about how, um, how this didn't really go with um, Animaguses, too. Yeah. Now, yeah. They and cannot speak. 
color different from yeah transfigured animals which is really interesting because I, I I don't know I just really like insights into how magic works on a theoretical yeah. level and seeing this really ancient yeah. piece of it sort of yep um, and then Dumbledore also mentions that uh, the witch was it the witch that could have threatened to use uh, the Cruciatus curse on yeah. the king because yeah. it wasn't yet illegal, and then we we kind of get some insight into the uh, into the Ministry of Magic and that they didn't make the those three curses unforgivable until uh, a certain year, I think it was, it was like right. Six, 16, 17. seventeen, yeah, in seventeen, seventeen, I think. Yeah, sixteen. Um, uh, yeah. Um. And then we just get more of of Dumbledore's humor. I mean, he the 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 little well, it's actually by J.K. Rowling. The bit that's on uh, Professor McGonagall. Yeah. uh, Oh yeah. I thought that was it was it was really refreshing to hear you know headmistress of Hogwarts, Professor McGonagall. Right. And also, and also makes you kind of yearn to hear stories of. Hogwarts and Professor McGonagall leading yeah. it. I loved how she, yeah. how he wrote that that she she asked him to make it quite clear that she became an anime an Omega yeah. purely because yeah. of her research in tra- Transfiguration. <laughs> yeah, that she never turned into a tabby cat for any surreptitious purpose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder if he ever, I wonder if Dumbledore ever joked about that with McGonagall. Oh, well, I bet he teased it. Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't get the whole rabbit advisor thing to Henry the Sixth. Was that an inside joke, or uh, I think, is that like a British joke? Or well, I guess he's supposed to be. I don't really know much about British. Well, I mean, he British history. He was fairly. I mean, I don't know a lot about him, but he was well known to be a complete psychopath. <laughs> and I think he actually. I think he actually had some mental issues. Well, wasn't that because so of I um, think, him I think, reading? Yeah. Didn't they say it was because um, of his family inbred? So that makes sense. So, I don't know. He might have had syphilis or something. But, um... (laughs) Why am I laughing? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... That that genuinely causes, like, mental problems. I thought it was just, like, a misconception. Like like a rash. Yeah. It doesn't actually affect... I'd always heard that it did, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Why do you know uh, so much about this? Yeah. She's smart. I don't. You'd be re- <laughs> but um, I don't know. But I just it's like a joke at that. Age. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was. You know. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah, yeah please. The last tale, the tale of the three brothers. Um, this was the shortest, I think. Yeah, it was only what three pages or something. Yeah. It didn't really come as a surprise yeah. after book seven. Well, right. yeah. I mean, Jamie and I were talking <laughs> about this earlier today, but when we read it, we felt like we read this entirety in book seven. Yeah. Like almost. Yeah, like I felt started. like I felt like I knew it all. What yeah. was the whole thing in book seven? I swear it was. Or like it was told almost like was. exactly like it was written. Exactly like it was, and yeah. So, and so Death took the second brother for his own, but though Death searched for the third brother for many years. Yeah, that was the it. very last um, paragraph is definitely written word for word from the yeah, it from is. Yeah. book seven. Hang on, I have Deathly Hallows on my computer. We're gonna find out about oh. this. Well, I hope you talk about yourself. Why not? <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> well, while while she's looking up that, we'll look at the the notes here. Basically, Dumbledore. we don't really need to summarize this tale because everyone's read. Everyone knows. Yeah, it, yeah. 
was Dumbledore's favorite bedtime story. Yeah. You know, I really... Unfortunately, it wasn't Aberforth's favorite book. I really did enjoy reading the story again, because after discussing it so much, you know, here on the show, I found it really just... I don't know. Really nice to read again. It, it really was. Yeah, all was very clear at that point. It does have the best moral. When does, you yeah. when you originally read the tale of the three brothers, you didn't know everything. Um, and reading it again, because I never read reread book seven, should have shamefully. That is pretty cool. Yeah. This is also the most mature um, yeah. moral too. Out of all, I mean, th- this seems like it's Wait. more directed towards adults. Yeah, I was just about to say, man. That, yeah, you never reread yeah, Deathly Hollows. Not- no. Oh, except for a chapter by chapter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, you're so funny. Uh, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, the whole uh, the whole thing is in here, by the way. Yeah. Joe ripped us off. Damn it. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually, uh, it's this is actually Hermione's telling of the tale. Yeah, it's her interpretation. Huh. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, because she translated it. Yeah, yeah. Well, funnily, she translated it exactly as Joe wrote it. What a chance of that. Wow. But <laughs> uh, um, I agree, Matt. I thought it was really adult, like morals. It was like it talks to people as adults and says what's going to come and how you can't live your adult life like yeah. your childhood life. You know. You well, know. also, it's also more of um, a, like like a moral that a lot of um, adult men tend to try to cheat because you know, like yeah. like men have like those midlife crises where they don't want to grow old or and they buy age. yeah, <laughs> or Ferraris or stuff, yeah, yeah, or a new wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't necessarily buy a new wife. They can go find one. I mean, <laughs> however, with the advent of the internet, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. These things change. Email ordered brides. Uh, uh, Mike, get uh, a Twitter computer. ordered brides. <laughs> what else, Mike? Does this story um, Sorry. No, go. Oh, I was just going to um Has anyone read Canterbury Tales? No. Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. You guys suck. <laughs> is this like um, the Canterbury Tales? Um, it's kind of because Canterbury Tales is several like different tales. Um, but it kind of reminded me of the Pardoner's Tale from that because um, in that story there are three and they're sort of drunkenly walking along this path and um, they're trying to find death because death has killed one of their friends and they want to kill death. So they run into this old man who tells them that um, he's left death in a grove under a tree. So the three brothers go there and they find all this gold and essentially they all become really greedy and end up killing each other so that they can have the gold. But like in that way, they yeah, it kind of reminded me of this. Yeah. Stuff like um, that doesn't happen when I get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but it just seemed like this was sort of loosely based on that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. I, I found it kind of funny, though, in the picture that Joe that Joe drew about um, the three brothers and death. Is that um, when, they, when they made that bridge, um, death got angry with them because they cheated death. But this river is not very big. <laughs> and it's you can just lie. I mean, you can just you? jump across it. I mean, it's not really that hard. And there's a tree right there, so they can just cut it down. Well, maybe for book reasons. Maybe I there just wasn't enough room. I just thought it was funny. I, maybe I just, hey, maybe people back. couldn't swim back back then. Maybe yeah. people could what? Maybe people couldn't swim back then. Who did invent swimming? <laughs> uh, people just keep drowning until one person picked it up. <laughs> Steve, people keep drowning, <laughs> drowning until there's so many bodies they just walk over. And cross. 
<laughs> Steve Wimmer invented swimming. Oh, I see. Uh, uh, yeah. S. Wimmer. Swimming. I, uh, oh, I think yeah. you're being serious there. For no, me. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Is, what else, Micah? Oh, well, you mentioned it's Dumbledore's favorite bedtime story. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was kind of interesting, yeah, knowing yeah. that everything that we learn about him in Deathly Hollows that you know he would like a story like this and he eventually goes after the hollows himself yeah it's it's just they had an early um weakness for this um kind of thing the elder one like i think that's that would probably be the reason why he loved that story so much is the fact that he, there was this really powerful wand also the mentioning of the philosopher philosopher's stone is my right here inspiring the beetle tail that's pretty interesting yeah it really is all right well i was gonna say in the nights um got um his final line and he says even I Albus Dumbledore would find it easiest to refuse the invisibility cloak which only goes to show you that clever as I am I remain just as big a fool as anyone else that for me kind of forgave him for everything he's ever done because like he's very humble yeah like, he's yeah. not modest but he's humble like and like he admits he's clever but he also admits he's a fool and like that's what clever people don't really do so I think I think he's an awesome character like we met someone at the podcast where I spoke to him briefly who said she didn't ever forgive Dumbledore for what he did. <laughs> but I think this is probably going to... Was that Jess? <laughs> no. But yeah, I don't know. Again, there was something about these notes as a whole I thought were really meaningful um, to Dumbledore's life, especially that last sentence. Well, it's definitely the, the, the most notes he's given for a story yeah. out of the entire book. Yeah. And yeah. he definitely has a lot to say about it. Yeah. yeah it just, I was like. Also, just how he's talking about an Elder Wand and how it's, you know, um, what, what was it at the end here? Well, what, the so-called history of the Elder Wands. Does it ever say why, um, why Beetle knows, um, all this stuff to be true? Like, no. How did he know this story? And... I mean, we know for a fact that these items do exist in, well, in the series. Well, I don't think... I think they kind of determined in the book that the story itself wasn't necessarily true. Yeah. That it was sort of made up to explain where these things came from. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. It almost seems like a plan, though. Like, Dumbledore's planning in this particular commentary. Like, when he's going through the history of the Elder Wand, it's almost like he's recounting it to himself so he can act, it's true, you know, it, yeah. in the next couple of months. Yeah. It's, um, a, it's a reminder as well. Like this story in the seventh book is kind of, you know, telling Harry to keep like keep his hot head like on his shoulders, you know, and stop like just rushing forward into things. Like I think it served a dual purpose to tell him about the Hallows, but also like not only that the invisibility cloak is the best option, but like that you know, that yeah, you need to think about stuff before you you know just rush into it. Yeah, and this was it was really interesting. Also to me, because um, this was sort of foreshadowing his mistakes and the weaknesses he had when yeah. he was trying to, you know, help Harry through all this. Um, and you know, he he admitted his mistakes throughout the books, and I thought this was this book was particularly meaningful in that because you know, like I said, that last sentence again where he says he's just the biggest fool, a big of a fool as anyone else. So. Mm-hmm. And also, um, Dumbledore talks about these old uh, superstition phrases, um, yeah, like, uh, when is wands oak and hers is holly, then to marry would be folly. Yeah. yeah. But my favorite almost one... Like, oh, sorry, what? They're almost like nursery rhymes. Yeah. Kind of. 
just like old um, old tale. Oh, I mean, old, um, old woman rhymes, or what are they called? Old wives' tales. Old wives' tales. Yeah. yeah. And wand of elder never prosper. He says, uh, I think that's like the um, a, a really good saying because if you think about the elder wand, people yeah. with that never really live very long. Wand of elder never prosper. Yeah. Yep. That does pretty good. Uh, anything else important to bring up about this? We'll move along. We're getting kind of late into the show here. Grumble the grumpy familiar with Alexander Pope. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Another Dan Brown reference for those who have read the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> Micah, we discussed Grumble the Goat. You're going to write the, the tale now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be a cool contest, actually, to write that tale. Yeah. 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 You can read Traz. Um, <laughs> a couple uh, listener feedback about the book, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Camille 14 of San Diego, she wrote, as always, love the show and keep up the great work. I was wondering, do you guys think Beetle the Bard will become an audiobook narrated by Jim Dale? We've said he's good enough to narrate a dictionary and make it sound interesting. Will he get the chance to narrate Beetle? If so, it'll be cool to hear the Dumbledore comments in Dumbledore's voice. That would be really cool, but yeah. I just don't think it's, it's not, I don't think it's big enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you can download oh, yeah. it or something. Well, I mean, you could for anything, but. Um, yeah, I think it'd just be too short. I mean, people like to listen to it on the car or something. It would be a very short drive. Yeah. Um, also, some questions from Twitter. I asked um, people on the MuggleCast Twitter to reply with their questions. And this was fun. We got some good responses. And I like Twitter because people will keep their questions short so they don't send us these books yeah. of emails. Uh, this comes from Dreesbo, D-R-E-Y-E-S-B-O. If you made a ranking of the Harry Potter series, where would Beetle the Bard stand? Is it even part of the Harry Potter series? It's well, already comparable. Either. But, okay, how about between Fantastic Beasts, Quidditch, oh, this and Beetle? Oh, this would, yeah. Yeah, this is way better. Yeah, this is definitely something that you can read and you find more things that connect with the series. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Becca Simpson asks, what was your favorite tale or moral? We sort of talked about our tales. Uh, Laura, what was your favorite? Um, I would have to say the tale of the, the three brothers. It's just because it has such a relation to book seven that yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, was there any favorite moral that really sticked out with everyone? Anyone? Um, I, I I still like the Fountain of Fair Fortune. Yeah, me too. Wizards, Warlocks, hot. The best. Yeah, that too. Yeah, Micah. Uh, I'll go with. Uh, Babbity rabbity and her cackling <laughs> stump. I don't, I don't really know um, the moral there, to be honest. Uh, but I, I like the moral from the first two stories. Uh, you know, it's sort of the wizard muggle relations and them actually getting along with each other, uh, as opposed to um, you know using their magical power to threaten other people. Yeah. But I did like that story, even though most people did not. <laughs> Uh, moving along, Angel12319 on Twitter asks, just wanted to know how many of you bought the collector's edition because I plan to buy it and was wondering who else bought it. Is that the $100 one? Yeah. Yeah, it's the expensive one. I didn't I didn't buy it. I don't think I anyone here did. No, not. I don't. How much of that goes to charity? A, lot a of good it. amount of it. A lot of it. I mean, like $3 of this what if I had? I was going to say, like... If I had a hundred dollars, I would buy it. Yeah. Are you asking for that for Christmas, Laura? Was that it, or just the regular version? No, 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 just the regular version. Oh, you should ask for the big one for Christmas. Yeah. Hey, you know I what want you do, Laura? Too, you know? 
Laura, see if they're going to do an unveiling of the collector's edition somewhere and go and notice if behind it there's something wrong with the poster or the stand <laughs> that it's on. And then write to them and say, hey, I noticed this was wrong and see if they'll send you a free collector's edition. There we go. Alice Mania on Twitter asks, why didn't Joe write Grumble the Grubby Goat? After it was mentioned, I wanted to read it, but was disappointed with it. Out. Maybe it's for Beetle the Bard too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it would kind of be cool to see Beetle. Yeah, the Bard well, that that mentioned. Um, it, I, I was that's what made me upset because there's also there's all these other Beetle the Bard stories that that were never written. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I have one last point to make that, that I remember thinking about when I read it. When I'm um, in the tale of the three brothers, when. She writes, yet she was silent and cold, separated from him as though by a veil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Obviously on purpose as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Kathleen91 asks, hey guys, I was just wondering if you thought the tale of the three bro- brothers would be longer. I was excited to read it, but it's two pages. Eh, yeah. what can you do? She had to keep it short for book seven. So. Well, I mean, it's it's a good yeah. story. I mean, you, you, you don't want to be. It was literally taken word by word from really Hermione's telling of it in the book. Yeah. So, and they had to keep it short in the book. And I think it, there wasn't any part that felt rushed or anything. It was just a nice no, little yeah. tale. It was yeah. The story was already told in the book. I mean, it was the yeah. entire story they said. So. Yeah. Plus, you got the most commentary from it too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So come on, Kathleen. Jeez. Jeez. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, and lastly, KJ Potter ninety four writes: How long did it take y'all to read the book? It took me about an hour and a half. Like an hour and a bit, yeah. Yeah. It, um, it took me actually longer because I kept rereading it over and over again. Oh. Laura, Micah. I'd say around an hour. Yeah. Yeah, a little over an hour. I guess I'm taking slow. notes. No, no. <laughs> well, Andrew, do you? <laughs> yeah, you're slow. Do you remember when we were reading Deathly Hallows? And we were like. And- we were consistently 50 pages apart, no yeah, matter what we did. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with a scheme to like distract Laura to slow her down so I could get by her, but never worked out. Uh, should have set your hair on fire or something. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, probably, yeah, you're welcome. I love you, too. Distract everyone, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just punch her out unconscious. Yeah. Wow. You're a bitch. <gasps> it's okay. Hey. You're rolling, said it. Oh, that's no. Oh, well, that's true. We can say none, too. <laughs> My book, you bitch. We can say dung liquor, too. Just to your own Senate. We weren't allowed to say that before? Um, I never knew that word existed. Okay, so um, so quick movie talk. No, no, about no. We're, so, no, no. we have time for this? No. No? Yeah. No. It's going to exit. All right. Well, um, this wraps up our Beetle the Bar talk. It's been a long show. I think much longer than we anticipated. We didn't even intro, Andrew. No, we didn't. We'll, we'll, we'll outro. So now you want to do that. Um, hopefully everyone joined the book and we'll discuss it on, on another future episode just want to say that um, I think our next episode will be our year in review show which should be fun I started working on MuggleNet's year in review last night and realized there was a lot of big stories this year that the movie split the movie delay no movie Beetle the Bar yeah no <laughs> so oh and of course the JKR RDR trial so it's a lot of fun stuff to talk about on that episode and so that'll be out by the end of the month, if not, probably in like two weeks or so. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Jamie Lawrence. I'm Matthew. I'm Laura Thompson. Uh, why'd you point to me? 
I pointed to Jamie, and then you pointed to me. No, I didn't. Okay, <laughs> and then I pulled my hand away. You're like, that <laughs> <laughs> was the longest pulling of your. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Who cares? It doesn't matter. Okay, uh, let's just go again. Season <laughs> for I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Jamie Lard. I'm Laura Thompson. Uh, I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And I'm Matthew Britton. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time for episode 166. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.